This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhander. Hey, Holly. Hey, Robert. On today's episode, we share part two of our conversation with Dr. Catherine Gordon. Last week, we talked about understanding suicidal thoughts. And this week, we talk about some of the ideas from her book, The Suicidal Thoughts Workbook, on ways to navigate those suicidal thoughts either for ourselves or for to help other people maybe that are, are sharing those with us. We uh, talk about a handful of different ideas for that. But first, Holly, how are you this week? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here recording this intro with you. How are you doing, Robert? I'm good. I'm good. I started listening to Christmas music. I don't listen. If you are like hardcore after Thanksgiving, that's fine for you, but I need some jolliness. Yes. I I like Christmas music. It makes It's how I combat the coldness, right? Because then it's like, oh, this is cool. It's like a whole thing. Um, so that makes me feel better about when it's cold outside because then it seems like it's like jolly. That's amazing. But yeah, so I've been I've been enjoying that and uh, obviously heading towards some of the holidays. But uh, glad to be here chatting with you. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's I love that you're starting to get into the Christmas music. We have not quite yet. We are in the process of clearing out all. We're like decluttering and getting rid of a bunch of stuff in the house um, with the anticipation of bringing in all of the holiday decorations in the near future. And we typically are in after Thanksgiving family, but you know, like last year, we're we're not going to wait this year. Yeah. So, um, yeah. and that is that is good and that is fine. So, yeah. Anyways. Well, hey, Courtney Ellis would be proud of you and your decluttering. I yes she would. Shout out to Courtney. I love that book. I still love that book, by the way. So to yeah. our listeners, you can circle back to that episode. I don't remember which number it is, but um yeah. it's a we'll good toss one. it in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, I, I think I have one update to share this week or just one little kind of thing to pass along to our listeners. Yeah. So we haven't talked about it. I don't think we've talked about it on the show yet, but Um, There are a handful of us who have a handful of researchers who have recently received this uh, grant from the John Templeton Foundation. And those who have been listening to the show for a while will recognize many of uh, my colleagues' names, including Ken Pargament, Joe Courier, um, Michelle Pierce, Cassandra Viaden, Jesse Fox. Uh, Clay Polson is probably the only one we haven't brought on the show yet. So I guess he's mm. next for us to bring on. But, <laughs> but anyways, a, a handful of us had recently received this grant. And as part of it, there's one focal area that's uh, got a funding opportunity for research in religious and spiritual competencies in clinical training. So 
I just wanted to elevate that um, for our listeners, especially for um, any mental health care providers who are tuning in or those who are engaged in research or know someone who is. Um, we're going to drop a link to that funding opportunity in the show notes, but we would love your help in trying to get the word out for that. So yeah, yeah, All I'm right, really cool. excited about the project. At some point, I would love to like talk about the project, but not today. Today, we're going to yeah. shift and focus on Dr. Katie Gordon. So yeah. yeah. Do you want to, well, you kind of went into a little bit about the overview of this one. I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted to add to it? Yeah, I'll say, as I mentioned, this is part two of our conversation. So if, you, uh, if you're if you just tuning into this one and you didn't listen to last week's, I would definitely recommend that. that. In that one, we do kind of the introduction stuff for Katie. So you won't hear any of this. It'll jump right in in the middle of, of this conversation. Um, so definitely go back and listen to that one on understanding suicidal thoughts. Um, and then this one will, obviously, we, we think this one is, is great too. Um, but I'll, I will mention that we are giving away some copies across kind of all our social media platforms. We're giving away a couple copies of the suicidal thoughts work. Workbook. Um, Katie was very gracious in giving us a handful of copies to do that with. So definitely go look for those across, uh, like I said, across our social medias, the the show ones, um, and maybe even yours and mine. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. We're finalizing how exactly we're going to do that if somebody yes. respond to my emails. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I have mean, to put you on blast. I'm just I'm, kidding. I'm just know. kidding. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Whatever. We all, I think we should move beyond emails as a form of communication just yes. all around because I'm I done with it. In but agreement. Yes. Anyway, actually, there's will, a, well, that's a separate, that's yeah. a whole nother maybe thing. Um, yes. Anyway, uh, to get back on track, we're going to shift into our conversation with uh, Katie Gordon, Dr. Catherine Gordon. Um, obviously, we're, we're friends, which is why we're calling her Katie. Um, I know I, I touched on that. I'm explained that in the first one there, but, you know, just so it, people go, why are you, why does this one, why are you switching mm-hmm. up her name? It, mm-hmm. Just because we're friends. Um, but I love, I love Katie. I think her work is great. Um, we've had her on the show obviously last week, but then even before that, and she does a lot of cool stuff with podcasting and things like that. Um, so we definitely go check out all her work. All that is in the show notes and we'll, we'll shift into this conversation okay. around navigating suicidal thoughts. Awesome. Uh, One last thing, just to add a little PS before we shift in. I do want to extend our reminder to be gentle with you. Uh, This Mm -hmm. conversation, again, is is a very sensitive one and one that um, may be difficult for many of our listeners. And so I just want to, you know, before we shift into the conversation, just want to reiterate that message to be gentle with you. Um, If this is a hard topic to listen about. It's okay. You don't have to listen to this week. Um, Don't just do what you need to, to take good care of you. Um, So I just wanted to make sure we, we remind folks of that before tuning in. So that's a great reminder. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, now we'll go ahead and shift in. All right. Enjoy y'all. So I know uh, last week in the first half of this conversation, we talked a lot about 
understanding suicidal thoughts. Um, I definitely would recommend folks go back and listen to that if you haven't. So Katie, I want to talk through some of the ideas in the Suicidal Thoughts Workbook, right? Your new book that came out in July and some of those ideas on on kind of two levels, right? One for, for an individual, obviously who the workbook is kind of geared towards for an individual that's navigating suicidal thoughts themselves. Um, and then the, the second front, right? For people that maybe someone has shared with them that they're having suicidal thoughts or they're feeling suicidal. So a friend, a family member, a faith leader, a clinician, things like that, how maybe they could use some of these ideas. Does that does that work? Yes, that sounds great. Okay. Well, I know there's a handful here and I'll kind of just go through chapter by chapter and kind of just toss a, a an idea out there of some of these ideas that you've you've written about and then have you talk about them, kind of explain what they are from from those two levels. So the first one, I know this this alludes back to some of what we what we had talked about in in the first half of the conversation, but uncovering causes on on maybe a more individual level than kind of, you know, last time we talked about uh, from overall kind of level, but what about for for an individual or someone who's supporting someone, uh, the idea of kind of uncovering some of these, some of the causes. Sure. The idea here is that when we hear that someone's struggling with suicidal thoughts, often completely understandably, what we what we want to do is think about safety, and we want to think about what in that moment we can do to help keep them alive, and the, that's so so important. And what's also important is to understand what is actually leading to those suicidal thoughts in that person's life and addressing some of the issues that underlie that, whether they can be changed. You know, if someone's struggling with depression or post-traumatic stress disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder, and that feeling of struggling with that is leading to suicidal thoughts, then then an important piece might be finding effective therapy for that. If the person is struggling in a toxic relationship and that's chipping away at their self-worth and that's contributing, it's important to understand that because that pathway for relieving the suicidal thoughts is going to be, is going to look different if it's that they're unemployed and they're struggling with making ends meet and they're worried they think their family might be better off without them because they're not able to provide for them, then that's a different pathway too. And so that's why I think it's really important to sit with someone and kind of let the suicidal thoughts be a starting point for opening the discussion about those underlying causes. And for some people, the suicidal thoughts are going to be more recent. For other people, they're going to go back, have a long time, a long history, and might not be as clear exactly what's leading them to pop up in those moments. So I know one of the next ideas that that you do talk about in the workbook is around coping uh, with crises. Can you um, unpack that one a bit? Definitely. From the last episode, we talked a bit about capability for suicide and how that can, that capability for someone dying by suicide and overcoming a survival instinct that we have built within us and protecting us. Part of that is having methods, lethal methods available when someone's in suicidal crisis, meaning that maybe they have access to a loaded gun or they have access to, to um, drugs they might overdose on or other methods. And so the idea with coping with crisis is to come up, up with a plan 
And it may not, it, the idea is that it's maybe not in the middle of a crisis. That's really hard to think at that time about what to do, but to have a plan that you come up with, you can ask other people for help or, or with a therapist or someone else for what you'll do if those suicidal thoughts are reaching an intensity where you're at risk for harming yourself. And part of that can be removing access to those means, having someone else store those. And that Mm. really can be life-saving. And I think that there's an idea that if you remove methods during a time when someone's in an intense suicidal crisis, that they'll just go on to use another method. That does happen, but in a a number of incidents, it it doesn't happen. It's enough that people kind of get through that acute moment. And then for many people, they will not choose another method. That's kind of the idea behind the cope with crises. And um, the second piece of it, so a big part of it is safety in that moment and and removing lethal means. But another big piece of it is how to cope with the intensity of how your body feels and your mind feels when you're in a suicidal state. And so we talk about quick ways to reduce emotional pain. And often these are things that absorb attention, that, you know, it can be kind of putting cold water on your face, taking a hot shower. For some people, it's intense exercise. For some people, it's distraction, playing video games, watching certain shows, spending time with people. And so the idea is to get through that moment safely. And and it's the two pieces of removing the lethal means and getting uh, support to get through it and and decrease the emotional pain that's driving that crisis in the first place. And so the, the, in the workbook, there's a plan that you have and the idea is that people either print it out or take a picture of it with their phone and have it on them at all times. So if they start to go into crisis, they've already have access to emergency numbers, contacts, and strategies for coping with it. Yeah. And this is uh, for for anyone on kind of the clinician side or it, maybe you've worked with a therapist, right? Like the idea of like safety plans, things like that, right? Like, hey, we've already thought through kind of this escalating, like uh, things I can do to distract myself. If that doesn't work, people that I could reach out to and just talk about something and then people that I could reach out to and talk about this, right? Those, that kind of thing. Um, but I do think it, it's important, like you're talking about, that maybe uh, if if you've had suicidal thoughts before or if you're someone supporting someone, right, you say, okay, in a moment where that's not happening, that's where we kind of try and say, okay, let's think through options, things like that, because in that moment, uh, particularly for an individual, is going to be incredibly hard, right, because you're, you're amidst a crisis. So um, I think that's that's great, great stuff. And the way you lay it out in the work- workbook, I think, is like really helpful in terms of thinking through like what types of things might be might be helpful. So from there, you you talk about reducing emotional pain, and I know you've referenced kind of the emotional pain um, a couple of times already. But what are some when you say like reduce emotional pain, right? People are like, okay, cool, like make me feel better. But what kind of things are you talking about, kind of more specifically? A great question. So there are there are some short term reductions of intense emotional pain that I talked about that can be like I mentioned, kind of exercise, social support, getting out somewhere, distracting. But it's important to also step back outside of those moments and look at a larger level what can help to reduce emotional pain. And I want to 
kind of mention again when I mentioned the last episode that I do think that there are certain factors in society that make it really hard to reduce emotional pain and, and a lot ends up falling on the individual. So I'm going to talk about individual strategies that can be helpful, but I want to acknowledge this is not about blaming the individual for getting in those situations. It's just kind mm. of yeah. hopefully giving people a way out. So the okay. two main ways that I talk about reducing emotional pain in the book, one is problem solving. Problem solving can actually be really hard when struggling with suicidal thoughts because they're going to be a type of tunnel vision that takes over. And problem solving is something that can be helpful. And those of us in clinical work know that, and those of us who have seen therapists know that just talking to someone else can open up ideas that we might have not thought of that might solve some of the problems in our life. Like sometimes there's financial assistance that we didn't think of, or there's a friend we didn't think of that we could ask for help, or there are places that we just couldn't think of that we that we could go that, that might help solve some of our problems and, and give us some hope about them. And then the other Sec, the second main piece of reducing pain in that is through cognitive behavioral therapy. And for some people struggling with suicidal thoughts, there are certain types of thinking patterns. They're automatic thoughts, uh, Aaron Beck called them, because they're not, the person's not intentionally thinking this way. But for example, one of those thinking patterns might be disqualifying the positive. So Someone says something nice about you and you think that they're just saying that they don't really mean it. Someone says something mean about you, you 100% believe that. And those thinking patterns can end up increasing emotional pain because they're filtering more on the negative parts of life. Again, this is automatic. The person's not doing this on purpose and missing some of the positive aspects of themselves and about their lives. And so that part of the chapter goes through step by step. That's really the main goal of the workbook. Even with the crisis, it's the same thing, breaking it down to tiny steps to help guide the person through some skills for managing those thoughts. So I'm having this painful thought and here's a framework of looking at it. Am I, are there other perspectives and ways that I can look at this that feel less painful? Mm, That's good. That's helpful. Um, And thinking through that one in particular, um, I do know that the next one that you elevate is on fostering self-compassion and acceptance. And as someone whose therapist is an acceptance and commitment trained therapist, I really loved seeing this one on there. Could you talk a little bit about that one in particular? Yes, I think that one of the big aspects of struggling with suicidal thoughts can be the isolation and feeling like there's something wrong with you or that you don't deserve compassion. And so I like the work of Kristen Neff and Tara Brack and and Steve Hayes Mm -hmm. from Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And I have actually found in therapy practice, especially with all the stressors going on with the pandemic, there are a lot of things that we cannot control, but I do see people with practice build skills for relating to themselves in kinder, less self critical ways. And so I actually think that Mm -hmm. it's really important that we understand self-compassion and acceptance, not as saying we like something or being overly positive in a way that doesn't feel true to us, but rather just recognizing that if something very painful is going on in our lives, and then on top of it, we're blaming ourselves and we're telling ourselves we shouldn't feel that way, 
then that actually amplifies it. Now, those patterns, again, they're not things people are doing on purpose. And often people don't even recognize that they're doing that. Mm-hmm. And they sometimes think you, we sometimes think if we criticize ourselves, we can kind of criticize ourselves into feeling better or making things better. But it just, it doesn't really tend to work that way. And so the, <laughs> at least yeah. I, it yep. hasn't worked You're well right. for me. It has made me much more upset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has not motivated me. And so this really is, mm-hmm. is trying out that lens and with specific practices for building that, because I think at first it can feel really unusual to people to treat themselves that way. And a lot of time we learn, learn those patterns from how we were treated as we were growing up. So it can be tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I, 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 oftentimes when I have clients that are kind of in that mode, right? Like, oh, I just, I'm super self-critical and that's what's going to make me better or whatever, right? I'll say like, okay, if we, if we switch places, right? We're friends, we go, to, we go to get coffee and I just told you everything you told me. Is that what you would say? And they're always like, no, of course not. That would be horribly rude, right? Like that's not being a good, and so it's just this idea mm-hmm. of like, yeah, we, like for other people, we're like, oh, that definitely makes sense. That's so hard. Like, you know, but for ourselves, we're like, just stop, get over it, you know? which is just interesting and, and speaks to what you're talking about there. So I know there's a there's a handful more, and for time's sake, we're going to touch on just a couple of them, but I will obviously point to the, the workbook and tell folks, um, obviously, it's a lot more in-depth, and there's a lot of really practical exercises, things like that. But you talk about increasing hope, strengthening relationships. Um, I did want to ask about number the chapter nine there is called making meaning right can you talk some about that like making meaning of what like what what all you're talking about yes this is something i have thought so much about and at some point want to write some kind of blog post or something on it but that that's when i can find the time or make the time I'll, i'll do that so i'm glad you asked about that one of the books that i read a couple times during the pandemic and i'm actually not very good at finishing books. I'm good at purchasing them, but um, not reading through them all the way. But I I reread Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning a couple times during the pandemic. And it's had a pretty profound impact on me because I think that, I mean, first of all, his story is just incredible talking about surviving the Holocaust and all that he lost and how he was able to make meaning and share what he found with others. And so that's incredibly compelling. The other part of it is linked back to the three-step theory of suicide, which I mentioned in the previous episode, which is that our connections to life can save us when we're experiencing severe emotional pain. They can help us get through them. And some of that's through relationships, and some of that is meaning in other ways. And so what I did for that chapter is I took the framework that Frankel used, and he talks about finding meaning in different ways, and he talks about it through deeds or actions. And so, you know, that could be things that are consistent with your values. And what I found in working in therapy with people who struggle with suicidal thoughts is often they're not recognizing when they are doing things that are consistent with their values. So sometimes it could be increasing Mm -hmm. actions. Other times it's just highlighting. So if someone cares about being a good parent or a good friend or any of that, it, it can be, okay, that's your value. What actions are consistent with it? And so sometimes that's increasing certain actions, but other times it's just noticing that Another type of meaning, and I should point out, Frankel talks about you you don't need to have all these types of meaning. You can, one of them is enough, and the three-step theory talks about that too, is a meaning through experiences. 
And that can be in relationships and, and love. And that can also be through beauty and nature and live music and going to um, through prayer or going to religious services where you're feeling something and maybe that makes you feel part of connected to a greater whole. And so in the book, I have a number of suggestions for ways that someone might connect that way. And then the third type of meaning that Frankel talked about that I have some exercises in there for is meaning through suffering. And one of the important things that Frankel said is that the best thing to do if there's suffering in your life is if you can avoid it, avoid it. There's no, you're, there's not something kind of noble about gaining that meaning through suffering. However, if you can't avoid it, as he certainly in his own life experienced and many of the people he worked with in, in mental health, um, is there any other way to look at it? And, and that I think can be a difficult conversation, especially initially following something that involves suffering. But what I found, and I imagine you all found too, in working with people in mental health contexts is that sometimes people are surprised by the things that even a horrible tragedy that, that they've been through. Maybe they're they've gained new skills. Maybe they're more assertive or protective of their health. Maybe they have started an organization to prevent that pain from happening to others. Maybe they've met new friends. And so that idea of meaning is that we can identify our values very much consistent with the acceptance and commitment therapy framework too, and work towards those, those values. And that chapter is about reconnecting with that because the idea is that in suffering, if we feel some meaning in our lives, that helps us get through it because we really need that. We, we don't want to be people just kind of floating through and getting by. And a lot of days are like that, but if we can sit back and reflect, okay, this is meaningful to me. I imagine that's part of why we're all having this conversation today. This is meaningful to us. And, and that can be just so important for well-being and for countering suicidal thoughts. Yeah, that's good. Well, I loved I loved how you elevated uh, Victor Frankel's work and how you included that nod that you know if we can avoid the pain we want to there's nothing noble about uh, about going through that pain but but the recognition that you know as part of the human condition we are going to navigate pain in our lives and finding ways to make meaning and perhaps serve out of that suffering that we have had to, you know, endure and just the ways that you described it. I really appreciate that, especially how gently you described it. Um, knowing, you know, that there is such a wide array of experiences that a lot of folks experience that they suffer through. So, so I appreciated that. Katie. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I know you do have a, a few others, a couple others uh, that you talk about in the workbook, but one of the things that we really love to ask authors and researchers and advocates and those who are doing such good work at this intersection of uh, faith and mental health, you know, somewhere along that intersection is we want to recognize and honor that like you are doing this work for, with, with a hope behind it, like you're doing it with intentionality. And so I would be curious, you know, what is your hope for this book as it is continued to be launched out into the world? One of my biggest hopes are that that people will be able to access 
kind of the, the best of what we currently know about what helps people who are struggling when with suicidal thoughts because of the way that our healthcare system is set up and also the sheer number of people who need mental health services. Many people cannot access a therapist to walk through some of these strategies. And sometimes when they do access a therapist, the therapist doesn't necessarily have specific training on coping with suicidal thoughts. So my biggest hope is that people who are struggling with suicidal thoughts will have, will reach these tools that exist from decades of research and clinical wisdom and, and be able to use them and feel less pain and more meaning in their lives. And along with that, I hope that therapists also feel more empowered to help people who are struggling with suicidal thoughts because it is it is difficult and it's anxiety provoking and it's challenging and yet there's such a need for it. So my hope is that this book will provide some tools for people to ultimately lead to more healing. Yeah. So good. And I I think it it does do that. So I would I would again just kind of recommend everyone um if you're listening to to go grab a copy. Listener, if you want to connect with Dr. Gordon, you can do that at katherinehgordon.com on Twitter or Instagram at drkatherinegordon. You can listen to the Psychodrama podcast wherever you get podcasts and you can buy this book, The Suicidal Thoughts Workbook, CBT Skills to Reduce Emotional Pain, Increase Hope and Prevent Suicide wherever you get your books. We'll link to all that in the show notes. You can connect with Holly at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. You can connect with me at robert-vore.com or on any social media at robertvore. Katie, thank you so much for joining us for maybe even an an extended conversation uh, today. Mm -hmm. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? First, I just want to thank you both for having me on and talking about this and all that you do. It, It means a lot and gives me a lot of hope knowing that there are to such caring people working to just get more people connected to help and to healing. And and secondly, to all listeners, I just want you to know that when you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, it can feel like your life is not valuable and, and hope can be hard to come by. And, and that's understandable. There's a lot of pain in this world, but you are worthy of help and you are worthy of having help with that emotional pain and feeling better. So I hope that you'll hold on. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at cxmhpodcast at gmail.com. A final note, if you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.